Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational with Hannah and Kath. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. Welcome to the show. And what's on the agenda today, Hannah? In data, we are going to be talking about CPD and all the things that you need to know about how to structure a great piece of professional development. In teaching and learning, we're going to speak to David Weston from the Teacher Development Trust, and he's going to explain all the good things that he does with the Teacher Development Trust and all the things that are available to you as teachers, leaders, and if you want to develop the staff in your schools. In pupils causing concern, we're going to talk about some funny stories in education, and in any other business, you're going to find out what's happening in the future of non-contact time. So let's get on with the podcast. In teaching and learning, we're going to talk about CPD. So, Kath, you've got some research that you wanted to explain to us all. So, the research that I was looking at was based on an assignment I was doing for a course, and I found that less than 1% of CPD had an impact on student outcomes. Less than 1%, which I find absolutely shocking. So, I think that in these unprecedented times we should really be looking at CPD and how we can do it differently and how we can do it so it helps all the staff. Where CPD does have an impact on staff is when schools look at the gaps in knowledge of teaching staff so it might be they need to develop a certain skill or their teachers that have less than 10 years of experience finding their gaps in their knowledge and filling those by running kind of short courses but teaching experience tough stuff they already know really really disengages them so one of the things that i was reading about is in industry or in organizations outside of education they tend to do a more blended approach where they do bits and bobs from different things so this idea of us all sitting in the hall and having someone stand up the front and deliver a training is really really outdated and Outside of the education sector, people were asked how they like to learn, and the number one was collaborative working in teams, which doesn't surprise me at all, because I learn much more by working with others or talking to others. And then it had things like web searches for resources, general conversations with staff or meetings with people, 
networking, external blogs and news feeds, possibly a podcast like Non-Contact Time. But the actual last thing on the list was that idea of big staff training, which is so passive, often we find really patronizing. Um, so it just doesn't have as much impact. What sort of things have you been reading about, Hannah? Well, I saw an article on the tears by Mark Enser, and in the first paragraph it says, in an ideal world, CPD would be something that every teacher looked forward to and embraced as an opportunity to improve their practice and become better at the exciting and complex job of teaching. And I think sometimes we've all been in those types of CPD sessions that do not do that. So I've been looking at some of the ways that you can make CPD more useful for staff and I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. If you are a teacher who's been teaching for 10 years or more, it's really important to think of ways that you can challenge those teachers because they probably have heard a lot of it before. The things that teachers struggle with a lot when they're given an initiative is time. Most of the time you're given something to do in a CPD session, they explain it to you and then you're expected to then put that into your into practice. So having some kind of vision, some kind of project that you want your staff to work on and do it over a, a number of CPD sessions and ask experienced staff and invite those who are doing it really well to speak to the rest of the staff and explain how they've done it give them tips on how to insert it into their schemes of learning or their everyday teaching and just do something that's a gradual process because the worst thing that you can do is give somebody something on the first day of September and then on the next inset day give them something else and then the next inset day give them something else because you haven't got time to embed it and actually use it properly and if you as a leader think that these things are really vital and crucial to be delivered in your school and you want that culture change you need time to embed it and we all know because we were all teachers that if you give students one thing to do and then the next and the next and the next they'll forget the majority of those things. It's interesting that you say it like that because when we talk about doing things like challenge tasks or extension tasks it, we're always discouraged from doing bolt-ons but often CPD feels like a bolt-on to something we're already doing and the research suggests that if you can embed the learning into your workflow so that it's part of your every day working or daily routine then it doesn't feel like you're actually doing extra work or it might be something that you've tailored to your own knowledge because I know with the research about the less than one percent it said the most effective CPD was when it was a skill that you needed to embed into the school um, curriculum but then it was also curriculum specific so if you're working in a primary school making it specific to early years or if you're working in a secondary school making it subject specific because obviously that's how we teach our curriculum and I find that really effective and I think that's why we always go on about our forums that we're on on Facebook and things because we're actually seeing that learning put into practice and I think when we don't see that and it just feels like it's an extra thing added to our list it impacts our mental health and then it also impacts our workload. There's something else as well I mean it's really we, we've talked about this a lot about how teachers have been doing a lot of online CPD over lockdown and I know you've spoken about the different ways that teachers access CPD and loads of people all over Twitter have been talking about all the things that they've been doing to enrich their pedagogy and I think it's fantastic and it just demonstrates how dedicated and how the teaching profession wants to progress because teachers are really thinking about what they can do to improve their practice and I looked on Twitter and I found 
a webinar that was happening and it was called The First 100 Days. And this is by Phil Denton and Mickey Mellon. Mickey Mellon is a football manager. And this was about the first 100 days in leadership. And it was a brilliant session about the first 100 days, what to do if you're an educator and how you can draw from business, from football, from coaching, and use those examples in your teaching or leadership role. So that was really useful because they gave pretty much, they spent, you know, the, the webinar talking about two tips. And those two tips, they were expanded upon, they gave examples, they gave examples in the business world, in the football world, and in the teaching world. And it meant that I could think about those things and it has made me implement or want to implement them in my own areas. And the biggest thing that they spoke about is teachers are effectively really good salespeople. <laughs> they have to sell, a, you know, if you're teaching whichever class and you've got a topic that's pretty dry you've got to sell it to them mm, that's so true <laughs> and, i've never thought of it like that <laughs> and this fantastic webinar was talking about how teachers are so good at that but i feel like we're lacking that sometimes in our cpd because actually we need a vision we need something to get behind we need a direction and all those things will help us move on the trajectory with our leadership team and if you've got those things in your CPD, if you've got a vision, if you've got a trajectory, if you've got ideas, if you celebrate success, if you've got all those things, I think your CPD will be more successful because you want your teachers to buy in. I think another reason why a lot of CPD is really dry is also because we're always talking about measurable targets. And even for teachers, it's got to show we've done this CPD because it'll lead us to this. But for some of us, it doesn't actually feel like it gets us there. And I think we need to think about how we're recording CPD or how we're valuing CPD, because having a more blended approach means that people will be researching on their own. And say, for example, Hannah's gone and sought out this amazing webinar that seems football-based, but is actually really relevant to her teaching. How do we then measure that in a CPD way? What I like about this idea of blended um, CPD is it means that you can watch a webinar which is quite passive like the EdTech Festival it was quite passive but I had a lot of choice because I could go out you can go out and find different webinars or different podcasts or different articles from lots of different sources but then there's also some really great interactive web-based CPD like the Teacher Development Trust we're talking to them later in the show and there's a more interactive there's smaller groups they're over Zoom um, they do parts that are quite passive and then they put you in breakout groups where you get to discuss things for a short period of time with people and you get that connection because a lot of learning is about social interaction and we know that with our kids we get them to do think pair share we get them to discuss um, for teachers it's the same if we're just sitting in a classroom reading documents off a computer it's not going to help us implement things better so I think it's like an exciting time that leaders could really think about how they're going to shape their CPD and shape their workforce so that they have a really powerful influence in the future. What you were speaking about then, about choice. Mm. I think I've done that before in previous schools where you have a list of CPD that the school are offering and you get to opt in. So that was really useful for me because I know what my targets are. I know where my where I would like to develop. Yeah. And so I could choose 
something to go to that would develop those targets. Whereas a newly qualified teacher might be thinking, well, I don't know what my targets are, but all of those sessions would be, would be beneficial in any capacity. Yeah. So it's kind of giving you a choice, but the leaders are saying, this is what we want to improve. There's your choice, you choose and opt in. And that was really helpful for me. And you form kind of teams within your school of people who you go to these CPD sessions with and share ideas with and that was useful but then like you said you've got different types of CPD so if you've got a really switched on leadership team who are utilizing all this technology that we've been using over lockdown like Zoom, like Teams, webinars, videos, you know they could produce a CPD library of information that they would like their staff to go to and on a twilight or a staff meeting they might say choose one of those things that we have pointed you to and can you then feed that back to somebody else in your group or I think that would, is really valuable and it makes you feel as a teacher that you're taking ownership of your professional development and it can steer you in the direction of wherever you want to go so if you want to move into leadership positions you can choose the webinars and CPD that focus on leadership qualities and if you're a newly qualified teacher you might just want to know a bit about behaviour management so you can steer yourself towards that and I think that's invaluable because like you said at the very beginning being an experienced teacher and going into a CPD session that just teaches you something that you've already done is quite frustrating especially considering you know you've done it for a long long time. Definitely. I um, also love that idea that we're reflective we're reflective people, teachers, and often we're not trusted to be reflective, but if we're actually given a huge amount of choice, we can then actually put our reflection into practice. Um, my favorite example of online learning gone wrong um, that I was reading about, it wasn't in teaching, don't worry teachers, it wasn't you guys, but outside the education sector, they were talking about online training that they do on computers and you have to click next and then once you've gone through all of the slides it says you've done 100% and you get printed the certificate. So one of the, <laughs> the resources I was looking at said that often people pay their children to sit at the computer and flick through so they're not actually taking any of that in and I guess that's one of the things with using computers is thinking about whether this is actually valuable and is the way we're using it valuable but I think the idea of being able to just show how you've embedded it that shows you're learning right yeah but also if you're um, if you're choosing your cpd options you're probably not going to pick something that you find really really boring and, <laughs> and you probably hopefully not <laughs> and you wouldn't pay your children to go and tick the next <laughs> button on the computer i couldn't imagine paying my child to do that and in fact he probably wouldn't he'd probably just get bored and wander off and play with lego or something i think it's like those people in lockdown when they were suspending their computer mouse from different devices that moved around so it looked like they were still doing work when in <laughs> fact they were doing nothing. <laughs> I love it. Today in Teaching and Learning we've got David Weston from the Teacher Development Trust and he's going to talk to us all about teacher development. Hi David. Hello. So Kath's going to ask you our five icebreaker questions. In five words, describe teaching to you. So my five words would be inspired, connected, wise, explanations and reflection. That's like my full day all in five words, starting at 9am and then ending. <laughs> we missed out like coffee, biscuits, like, you know, to be fair. That could be the extra teaching as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Um, so in five words, describe the best type of student to teach. And that could be um, a student that you're teaching as in um, training a professional or student that you teach as in a student yeah. in the classroom. Either way. Inquisitive, reflective, hardworking, that's hyphenated, diligent and engaging. Yeah, I'd agree with all of those. Yeah. What is your classroom pet peeve? So the thing that annoys you the most? I mean, thinking when I was a teacher, uh, bad technology, computers that took too long to start up and just that was rubbish. Or children who've just come in after playtime and sweaty, smelly teenagers in a <laughs> stifling room with no, with not enough ventilation. That was a pet peeve as well. That is terrible. Do you know, I hadn't thought about how bad that is because it's been a while <laughs> since we've experienced that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole, you know, that whole like October, november thing and it just, oh, yeah. It's when they get wet that. outside and they come in. Yeah, exactly, and just, exactly, and this, so this smells like wet dog, but there's no dogs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, okay, so what do you do to look after your mental health or unwind at a, at the end of a difficult day? I try and like stop notifications on my phone. Notifications are a nightmare and I'm not always very good at it, but um, I've got a thing that automatically turns notifications off at 9pm and I, I do my best. I fail more than I succeed, but I do my best to try and like stop, for example, going on Twitter, working, those sorts of things from 8pm. So I find if ever possible, I would rather stop working at 8pm, get up early the following day and complete things much better because I'll sleep better. Yeah, absolutely. So what's one thing you'd like to see changed about education? I would love to see more stability. I think um, you see it in other countries and in other countries, I'd say something different, but it, particularly in England, um, just everything changing all the time. And if there was more stability, it shouldn't be stability as in this is the only thing you can do and that's it. But like, here's the framework in which you can operate. Like here is, here are the goalposts and here's the map of the field, if you like. And then like, okay, now you get on and just like get yourself better at doing things um, and not constantly tweaking and changing and having to second guess where are the goalposts? What am I doing? Things might change all the time. Obviously, stability in the time of COVID is tough. But even right now, if teachers and head teachers knew exactly right next year this is how i'll be judged next year this is what the minimum expectations are we'd be really creative we do wonderful things um but in in absence of that you spend all your time second guessing and having to follow micromanaged instructions just in case you know you're you're caught out later so stability you know um that that calm understanding of exactly what's going to happen how i'll be judged what good looks like what the minimum, minimum expectations are and that's when we're our most creative best you know I taught in Australia and did my teacher training in Australia and mm. everything has a six-year lifespan. So they yeah. bring in a new policy, you have six years to work within it and then at the end of the six years or towards the end of the six years, you'll get the new lot. But it's kind of a rule and it's something that does frustrate me over here. So every time I hear like how, how it just changes so quickly, I keep thinking, why can't you just give it a lifespan? Hannah, I'll hand it over to you for your questions. Okay. Could you describe the teacher development Trust in a nutshell for our listeners. Yeah, certainly. So um, it's a charity that's all about creating these really vibrant, research-rich staff rooms where teachers love coming to school, we're engaging in the best wisdom in the whole profession, and we are supporting each other to grow and improve day after day, week after week, year after year. 
And um, I set it up um, just over eight years ago now because as a teacher, I thought a lot of the professional development I've got has felt either irrelevant or it's felt gimmicky or it's felt one-off and flash in the pan. And what amazed me was how much incredible wisdom there is out there and all the work, you know, at the time I remember reading about John Hattie's work and my mind was blown and thought, how did I not know this? So the work we try and do um, is sort of got three parts. Number one, we just advocate for professional development and say we need a space where teacher learning is as important as students learning and if we can do that there's really no limit to what the profession can do so we work with government and we publish research and we talk a lot about professional development and the second thing we do is work with schools and school leaders and say you can make your school this amazing place for teachers to grow and thrive uh, and improve and um, we do training we work with schools and they buy memberships and we help them review what they're doing and gradually gradually they just transform it's like kind of a butterfly coming out and even the best ones can get better in it's great and then finally we work with cpd providers as well so whether you are um, uh, you're a school who's providing professional development or you're a publisher or a charity or a commercial organization um, we just think if schools and cpd providers can work together better then everyone's going to benefit providers themselves will fi find their engagements with schools better and schools will find, um, find their engagements with providers are better um, and the funny thing is everyone whether you talk to schools or providers no one really likes oh can you quickly come in for 45 minutes and cover everything on phonics or something like that no one really likes doing it but everyone kind of ends up doing it and i think we can fix that so those are the three things advocacy work with schools and work with providers so how would you go about setting up um, a cpd session on a particular topic or a, a series of sessions how do you think it works best Right. So in the fact you said series of sessions like that's already a big clue. Right. So I like to use a food analogy because I just like food. <laughs> and um, uh, I always say that a CPD session in itself is a bit like the act of going to the supermarket and buying ingredients. So it's what actually you come back and do with it that counts because you can buy all the ingredients, you can buy too many ingredients, you get really excited about your shopping trip. But unless you actually eat them, unless you cook them, unless you eat them before they go off, you don't get any nutritional value. So actually, it's not so much about the sessions. It's about the whole process of, of learning. So in really great schools, um, and we work with loads of them now, some of them, honestly, I nearly are just down tools as, uh, from my charity and just go and work at the schools. They're so amazing. Um, but what they're like is you probably have weekly sessions where staff get together with each other. They're talking about research. They're listening to ideas. But a lot of the time they're spending exploring how are students learning now? You know, how are pupils doing? How can we improve it? What have we tried? What can we do better? Um, they're working with experts and they're working with amazing teachers to kind of watch how, how they do things and dig it apart and try it out. But the point is it goes on and on and on. So each week we might be coming back to similar themes and then we're planning lessons, we're trying them out, we're reflecting, we're getting coaches observing us, feeding back. And it's just part of the job. So when professional development is great, it doesn't feel like I do my teaching and then I do a bit of CBD. It just feels like, well, my job is I'm always learning. Of course I am. Because every time I talk to my colleagues, I'm learning things, I'm trying things. All our lessons feel like we've planned them together. It's like a collective endeavor. Um, and then I feel really connected to the rest of the profession as well. It's not just, well, here's me in my classroom with the door closed, but I just feel I've got all this wisdom kind of flowing in through my classroom the whole time. So, and that gets us away from, I have to plan a session. It's like, well, I've got loads of learning going on what could this hour be useful for what conversation could i have who could i hear from how could i apply it how could i bring some problems with me to that session and help someone fix those problems for me and then go away and try something new out so um it's reframing it you know definitely 
So how do you think SLT can improve the experience of CPD for staff? Well, listening is a really good way to start. Um, one of the things that I, I meet senior leaders who've read loads of books on CPD and they're really excited and they get, we've got brilliant ideas, but then you speak to staff and they're really grumpy because they say, well, actually, this has just been imposed on us and oh no it's just changed again and actually the most important thing you can do is have a conversation because as professionals we should be significantly contributing to the direction of our own learning right so um, what really great schools do is they test this on multiple levels so they ask every individual possibly through regular line management meetings with a really supportive coach and mentor and line manager but also through surveys and they say right what challenges have you got in your career where do you want to go next also think about the pupils you've got on the subjects you're teaching what are your challenges there? Then they go to teams and they say maybe phase teams or maybe year teams or subject teams. And they say, right, within your team, what are the big challenges you're facing and what are the goals you're trying to achieve? What professional learning might you need? And then they go to the whole school level and they say, right, as an organisation, where are we trying to get to? What do we need to fix and what do we need to improve and what do we need to um, try and achieve? And then they've got this big map of what the school needs, what the, the teams need and what the individuals need, both for their day-to-day -day work and for their own careers. And then they can start mapping it out. So that's the one key thing, really, is if you want to make your CPD good, you need to ask people what they want. Second thing, involve people in the design. So don't just, um, worst thing to do is say, well, we've got some inset days and then a week before go, ah, what are we going to put in the inset day? That's, that's, like, that's terrible. Um, so what we need to do is sort of map out all the spaces for professional learning in the coming year and say, we've got some inset days, we've got some twilights, we've got some subject meetings, we've got some year team meetings, we've got some whole school meetings. Now let's all have a conversation. What were the big themes we're going to come back to again and again? How do we find space for those? And then what are the things you might start tackling within your teams and as an individual? So everyone sees where the space is, they see the plan and they see where they fit. And then the final bit would be appraisal because a lot of performance management is rubbish and makes no difference and uh, um, it's really bad um, goals and the appraisal makes no sense. So in schools that do it really well, you regularly meet with your line manager who's saying, oh, how's it going? And tell me about your learning. What are you working on now? How can I help? Well, is it working? How do you know it's working? Let's explore the evidence. Let's explore evaluation. And they just all connect together. And so what senior leaders can do is not see CPD as an add-on, but see all of this fantastic professional learning time that we get to come together, design it, listen to everybody, co-design it, and then gradually, gradually you can improve it over time. But that's the main thing, listening, finding the time, planning ahead. I think it needs to be rebranded completely as professional learning time. Sometimes CPD is designed in exactly the same way. It's very mm -hmm. passive and then nothing's done with it. Um, just on that, I would I normally call, call it professional learning. But that said, there are some people who really want to say, take CPD and maybe call it CPDL. But I'm kind of like, I've seen too many schools say, great, we've rebranded it. We now call it this. Underneath it, it's the same. So what I'd rather <laughs> do is call it whatever name you like, if you like, and call it Fred. But as long as it's sustained, it's engaging, it's got all that stuff we were talking about. So, but sometimes a name can change. Someone accused me of being too much of a scientist and not enough of an English teacher by not caring about names. So there we go. I don't know, that might be true. Just want to see the process and the outcome. <laughs> don't care what it's called. definition any day. So I've been, I've actually been doing a lot of study into um, the benefits of CPD and how we can do it better in schools. And one of the things that came up in um, a lot of the research was the link between CPD development and student attainment and that often it can be there's no relationship at all so what do you suggest in um, ensuring that CPD is effective in student attainment? 
Sure. So, um, I mean, look, designing learning is pretty hard. Designing teaching is pretty hard, even in the best cases where I'm designing um, a se sequence of learning for you to get better at knowing things, right? That's quite hard. It is, there's no foolproof way I can say, if I design my lesson this way, children will learn. And in, in CPD, it's even harder because I'm designing my learning in a way that has to get teachers to learn things and then use that and apply it to get children to learn things. And so um, it's not surprising that it's quite hard sometimes to find the link between the, the professional learning activities and the outcomes for children. But we do know there's a whole bunch of things which make it much more likely that the professional learning that teachers engage in will improve the outcomes for children. And we tried to capture some of that when I was working with the Department for Education and I chaired the CPD expert group and we came up with the DFE CPD standards. And that essentially summarised the research at the time and said, these are the things which if leaders do this, teachers do this and CPD providers do that, it's more likely to have an impact on student outcomes. And there's loads of research and I could speak for hours about the bits of research, but I won't. Um, but essentially, we know that when professional learning learns well, then children are more likely to firstly improve their outcomes. Secondly, the ones who potentially disproportionately benefit are the most disadvantaged. Um, third, as teachers really gain depth in their understanding, then children are also more likely to want to keep going with that subject because they're more engaged in it, they feel it's more interesting. And then of course, we see loads of impact on teacher motivation, their morale, teacher retention. And also that, of course, causes things where people say, this looks like a better profession and I'd like to join it. So loads of really good reasons to do professional development well and loads of reasons to not waste time and do it badly. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, that makes so much sense. But then it's translating that into something as a senior member of staff, because I know from yeah. experience you get a lot of CPD where, like we've said before, it's passive and it's just trying to get a message across. Yeah. But actually you're doing yourself a disservice by throwing it onto somebody at the last minute instead of really embedding it into a series of twilights or a structured program because then Absolutely. you know as a teacher that if you teach a child a concept once they might remember it but if you teach it them constantly and we talk around the topic and stuff like that then it'll embed in their psyche and they'll apply it more regularly and um, more efficiently. Absolutely. So what I'd like to do for a minute is scare any senior leaders listening who do just have one offs and say, well, I can't, I don't have time to do any more than that. So let's get a bit scary for a minute and say, so everybody knows there are some colleagues in school who go, oh, heard it before. And they're kind of sat at the back with the arms folded. Right. Um, and this is what the problem is. If I have been doing something for 10 to 15 years, I've been doing it for a long time. And you come along and tell me, oh, by the way, you've done it. Everything you've done before is wrong. And this is a better way of doing it. And you need to listen to this. And then I tell you in 45 minutes, I've covered the whole topic. Then you sort of go, oh, OK, fine, you know, whatever. And then the next time you listen to it, you say, but we've covered this before. And so if you say something massive like questioning or reading or behavior could be covered in 45 minutes, A, that's insane. And B, everybody listening who's already, frankly, tired of one offs is thinking, well, that's it. I don't need to come back to this again. And then you're making them more resistant to actually in-depth learning later. So please don't do loads of one-offs. Like that's a really bad thing to do. You know, it would be a bit like um, taking a bunch of like the top, I don't know, dancers in the world or something and saying, by the way, you might all have loads of different dance styles. And you might have all been dancing for 15 years, but did you know pointing your feet is really good? Let me do a presentation on pointing your feet or something. It might be something very useful in there, but most of them are gonna go, oh, A, this is patronizing. B, I've heard it before. C, it's not really relevant to what I'm doing. And D, oh no, every time I listen to this person, I'm gonna switch off. 
So, you know, we, we have to differentiate more. We have to make things feel relevant. We have to not just do something once, but help people do the learning with it and not just, you know, reading out a whole bunch of really boring PowerPoints. <laughs> because as a teacher, we're not supposed to do that anyway. <laughs> no, no, no indeed. Because isn't there a link between um, once you've heard about it, you've then got to apply it because it's only an application. We're actually going to find out whether it works or whether it doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and also, so you might, for example, I might feel um, I have a real vision of what I believe is right and what a good classroom looks like and so on. And then there's loads of issues. So you might come to me and say, hey, we're going to do this completely new, I don't know, behavior management approach. And I might say, this doesn't feel like what my vision for education is. Like, you know, I, I'm, this just doesn't fit. Or actually, I feel this isn't going to be helpful for me in my classroom. If you force me to take away what I'm comfortable with, that's going to be a problem. Or um, you might you, you might stand up and tell me some things and I'm kind of like, but I don't like the way you teach. And so I don't really want to listen to that. So it's actually really complicated. And teacher expertise is this amazing thing. Um, I was doing a talk for research at home the other day and it, there's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff about expert teachers see the classroom in a completely different way expert teachers think in a completely different way expert teachers anticipate and act in a completely different way and plan in a completely different way and so if you're giving the same professional learning to someone who's been in the profession one year has been in the profession 10 years then you literally like two different sets of brains uh, you know a bit like i've got a, a year i don't know sort of a, a year one and a year 10 and i'm going to do phonics with them like it doesn't doesn't make sense even though the ideas might be valid for both, it doesn't make sense because they're at totally different levels of expertise. That makes so much sense. So how would a school or an individual teacher be able to access all of the um, information that you have on the Teacher Development Trust? Well, firstly, we publish a blog, we publish resources, which is all completely free. So anyone can go on there and just have a look. They can download our reports. We've got research pages, got loads of blogs discussing it, and that's completely free for anybody. We also do a monthly newsletter where um, if you sign up for that, essentially we'll summarize everything that's new that month that we can see around professional learning around leadership that sort of stuff and then we'll share that um but then we also have uh services where schools subscribe so that's a whole organization and the school will um join us and then they'll be able to do a bit of an organizational review and we get, they get access to surveys and they have a an expert come from our organization and review with them so they figure out how well are we doing professional learning, improving teaching and learning, how's all it working and how can we improve it? And we've got this tool, we've got these seven key domains of leadership and improvement, and then people can sort of benchmark themselves and work out what to do next. Um, we also run events. Uh, we've got an event in October looking at performance management, why it's often rubbish and how you can make it better. Um, and then we've got things like training. So we run a um, we run a training course for CPD leaders. So like there's often generic how to be a senior leader courses, but we've got specifically how to be a CPD leader and how to make the CPD school better as well as stuff like pedagogical coaching and lesson study and fun things like that so so it's a mix of things a bunch of free stuff because we're a charity and then also some things that people can subscribe to or, or buy oh that's brilliant it's great that you've got both ways of people accessing the information because I think that's really important because not all schools have access to huge CPD budgets either which is a no, really indeed. big challenge <laughs> as yeah. part well, of CPD actually, people are interested there's a little tool on our website um, you can access through the menu um, where you can benchmark your CPD budget and say how does my school CPD budget compare to other schools yeah. and um, it's very interesting sometimes you say wow 
our, our school CPD budget is like in the bottom 20% of the country. And then there's, you know, you go to governors and go senior leaders with that. And what they're going to do, you know, say, well, 80% of schools like ours apparently can do spend more. So maybe we should. And obviously it's not just how much you spend because you could, you know, I've seen schools with massive budgets and then mysteriously that budget goes mainly to one or two people. Um, yes. And obviously, it's what you, again, it's what you do with it that counts, but there should be a decent budget. Like, you know, mm. learning, schools are about learning, so they should be about staff learning as much as student learning. Yeah, absolutely. It's got well, to that, be the balance. It's a knock-on, isn't it? Because if the staff are really clued up and they're, you know, doing lots of action research, then that's surely going to filter down onto yeah. the progress of the students. Yeah, totally. And in fact, so we ran, um, uh, we helped run the uh, book launch for John Thompson and Johnny Utley's new book, Putting Staff First. And essentially their argument is, if you always put students ahead of teachers, and then you'll get ground down teachers, teachers will never improve. But if you say, actually, the first thing we need to do here is make sure teachers are learning and thriving, um, and then keep them focused on how they use that to help students, that's a much better way around. And, and professionals feel valued, and then they want to give back all that extra discretionary effort to help the students. So if we really value the people we work with, and actually, you know, people like Richard Branson say the same thing, and actually we value our staff first, so that we can value our customers. What we don't do is say, flog our staff to death, and say, yeah, you've got to do more, you've got to do more, you've got to do more. And one of my least favorite things in education is where people are being kind of worked to, to you know, worked to the bone. Um, and people are saying, but you need to think of the children and we need to go faster and we need to be more brutal and we need to be harder and do more monitoring. And it's like, but actually, ultimately, that's not helping everybody, anybody, because you've got demoralized teachers, you've got people leaving the profession, you've got people not wanting to join the profession, and we're all suffering. So actually, we need to have an approach that values professionals, values staff, and makes the learning at least as important as the learning of students, if not more so. Makes loads of sense. I, th- I hope so. That's my little manifesto. <laughs> so I just wanted to flag up that we are running a series of free conferences called CPD Connect Up. Um, and if you go to tdtrust.org slash cpdconnectup, all one word, then there's a whole bunch of really amazing people. Um, this week we've got Matt Pinkett, author of um, Boys Don't Try. Um, we've got colleagues looking at um, leaders and how leaders can need to put their oxygen mask on first so that they're kind of valuing their own well-being so that they can support others got a fantastic session on inclusion and diversity exploring uh, people from lgbt ed and bame ed and disabled ed and um, loads of different areas and, and more coming up over the holidays as well so if people want to have a look they are free one hour sessions and it's not just listening to someone you get to chat to people in breakout rooms as well and then reflect and share ideas that sounds amazing yeah david thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today i think you've given us a lot of food for thought about how we can think about our cpd programs in school as well as scaring a few SLT members out there. Thank you so much for your time, David. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. In Pupils Causing Concern today, we thought it'd be really fun to talk about some CPD niggles or things that don't quite go right in CPD opportunities. So Hannah, you got an example there? Yeah, so um, this one was sent in. When everybody gets really excited about the food for CPD, and you get there and you're gluten-free and the only thing on offer is cake. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. And it's really nice when schools put on food. Yeah. But if you're the only person that can't eat the food, that must be the worst. <laughs> Absolutely the worst. Um, I was thinking about how teachers are the absolute worst students. We all are. So when we go into CPD, you always have the naughty teachers that sit up the back and we just revert to that childhood self. 
And I love when um, an external host comes in and tries to do an icebreaker with those naughty students and it'll be something like, turn to the person next to you and tell them how you're feeling today. And you just turn to the person next to you and go, I'm feeling like I don't want to do this icebreaker task. <laughs> icebreakers come up a lot on uh, online as people are like, don't do the icebreakers, get on with the CPD. I think that grouping thing's really important. So uh, there's one here that says, when you go into a CPD session and you're just sat with a load of people who are all friends with each other and you're kind of on the side, so they're all talking about the weekend and you're sat going, don't we have to talk about this teaching and learning initiative? <laughs> and it's just really <laughs> awkward. So grouping people, important. Very important. <laughs> I have um, at one CPD discussed someone's wedding arrangements even though I wasn't invited to the wedding. <laughs> that is really weird. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> I have a story that I read about. It was about a CPD where they were talking about workload and SLT were trying to throw it to the staff and get some suggestions. But of course the naughty teachers were up the back and they were talking and they weren't paying attention. So um, SLT invited one of them to speak and they couldn't think of anything to say. So they said, um, you could improve our workload by giving us nap time after lunch, maybe? <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I think nap time's totally valid. I mean, if I had a place to nap, I would definitely utilize that space. <laughs> um, another one here is when you turn up to the CPD session and they are explaining how to use this new piece of software or technology and none of the technology works because you know that happens and the IT technicians can't get it to work so you're sat there listening to someone explaining where to click and what to click and you can't see what oh. they are clicking or where they I are clicking. That. I absolutely hate that. <laughs> Um, many, many moons ago, I worked in a school where we had a very dedicated union rep. And if any CPD ran over directed time, they'd just get up and walk out. <laughs> just literally on the dot. That's what you oh, need. On the door. That's what you need. <laughs> they were, uh, when you get into those types of situations and the, the person who's leading the CPD goes, have you got any questions? And you're like, no, it's five o'clock on Friday. Please, no. <laughs> Please don't ask us any questions. Exactly. Who does a CPD on a Friday? <laughs> Ugh. Can't think of anything worse. It's like putting a parent's evening on a Friday. It's just cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> My favourite one that was sent in is when you spend an hour watching somebody talk to you and it's really dry and they're explaining everything really well, but it's just really kind of just auditory and they're describing how you should make things interactive for the students so that they don't get bored. <laughs> You're all visual and kinesthetic learners, but I'm only going to show you in an auditory way. <laughs> I love those training sessions where they're absolutely showing you the worst example of what they're trying to say. However, I did go to a fantastic one and I have put this on Twitter. There was an absolutely brilliant CPD session where we were talking about ADHD and how it works and how it feels to have ADHD and so these people, these facilitators said to us what you're going to do is we're going to give you a page of A4 paper and on that page there is loads of information and it's a physics question. So you have to read all the information and I'd like you to summarise it in a paragraph. And I was like, yeah, no problem, I can, you know, I can summarise, I'm good at summarising. And um, we started on this paragraph and this music just came on. It was really loud rock music and I just couldn't concentrate, it was really hard. 
And then they started throwing balls at us from the ball pit. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? And they were trying to demonstrate that if you've got ADHD, it's really hard to concentrate because everything around you is stimulating. And they were trying to show us what it feels like to be overstimulated. And that has stuck with me. That was probably about eight years ago. That has stuck with me forever. So it's really interesting. So things like displays, things like people talking, things like tiny noises, like clicking or twitching, it really is very hard for a student with ADHD to not concentrate on that and concentrate on you. Mm. So it made me think about the way that I was teaching and the way that I present my classroom. So that was fantastic. It's so true. Good, st good CPD will stay with you always and you'll go, I remember that time. <laughs> I got hit in the face with a ball. <laughs> and now I know about ADHD. <laughs> in any other business, we're gonna tell you about some upcoming episodes. And we wanted to tell you guys, or give you a bit of a heads up, that we're actually going to move to bi-weekly episodes because we wanna continue making a really high quality podcast. And at the moment with us teaching full time and everything being unprecedented, we're not sure that we can do that weekly for you. So um, you can find us every two weeks from next week. And also if you miss us, you can go back and listen to some of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Deezer and Spotify. If you're interested in helping us or supporting us, you can also donate using the ACAST supporter or you can join and subscribe on Patreon, which is usually linked to our social media anyway, so you can find it that way. Yeah, because Kath needs a microphone. I do need a microphone, guys. Please help me out. <laughs> we want to make this less echoey, so if you can help, that'd be great. <laughs> Next episode, we're going to be talking to Ellie Dix about gaming and why games are really important in the curriculum. I've been reading her book. It's a really great book. It's called The Board Game Family, but you can also find some of her games on The Dark Imp. Um, definitely worth a check out, particularly if you've got a school where you'd like to give out games to students to try and engage them. She's got some really great ideas about that. Here is Ellie's favourite teacher. Maybe I should give a, a shout out to my very long suffering maths teacher <laughs> from school, uh, Mrs Walker, who I don't even know, I don't know if she's even with us now, uh, but Mrs Walker was, she wasn't the best teacher in the world but she was always pleased to see us. I actually think I probably made her life fairly difficult because she was trying to teach me uh, mechanics and I thought mechanics was boring. This is when I was doing my A-levels, by the way. It wasn't when I was, uh, when I was you know, young. I was, doing my a I was doing a level maths and further maths and Mrs. Walker, bless her, was had the tough job of trying to teach me mechanics, which I still think is the most difficult bit about, for me anyway, about the curriculum. And uh, there were only four of us doing further maths in my school. So all of my lessons were just with three, these three other girls. And uh, she, you know, she every time she walked in the room with a smile on her face, even though I'd spend most of the class trying to get her to do drama games and stuff. <laughs> Um, and trying to distract her and engage her in conversations about her children. And but every single time she still wanted to see us. She still liked teaching us. And I think that kind of commitment to her students was lovely and refreshing. Thanks for that, Ellie. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye, guys.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.